You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. Morning. I got new trainers on. Just sharing that with you. Birthday present. August baby. Anyone here an August baby? Happy birthday. No one ever remembers, do they? When you're saying... Thank you. Um, it's lovely. I don't need this now, do I? Uh, it's really lovely to... Boom. There we go. It's really lovely to be kind of all back together, isn't it? Almost all back together. So, welcome. I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> it's real people. Um, so, we are starting a new series. I just... I'd forgotten to... Um, uh, speak to uh, Nathan as a little bit of a, a reminder. Um, I had a piece of community news as well, which kind of fits with what I'm going to talk about this morning in some ways. Um, uh, some of you may know that across the Oasis, across the Oasis family, um, one of the things that I take responsibility for is something uh, called the Grief and Loss Course. Happy note to start on. Um, and uh, it's something that we train lots and lots of our staff in to uh, be able to deliver. But also we have a grief and loss course that we do in our communities and with our young people and all the rest of it. Anyway, I thought it would be a good idea if myself and Lillian... I don't think Lillian's here today, is she? No. Um, Lillian and I are going to be running that. So if uh, any of you um, want to come to... It's a four-week thing. um, And basically all of us at some point in our lives experience loss and grief. It's all sorts of various things. If that would be of interest uh, to you, there's only eight spaces, she said, holding up five. There's only eight spaces. Um... And it's just a group that works together to think through some of the practicalities about how we process some of that stuff. It's very gentle, quite um, helpful, and uh, is a roaring success as well for so many of the young people and families, etc., that do that around um, all of the Oasis hubs. So if you'd like to know more, come and find me afterwards, or you can email welcome at oasiswaterloo.org. Is that right? Yeah. Fantastic. So, so here we are, new series. How exciting. I, uh, when I, I think it's one of my first ever talks. Uh, This is like a million years ago, because as you can see, white, grey, blondy hair, very old. Um, One of my first ever talks I did was about uh, this book, Nehemiah. And I'm sure that many of you have sat through all sorts of talks from uh, this particular book in the Bible. But first, before we dive into that, how are you? How are you? How are you feeling? How are you feeling right now? What is it that you're seeing and experiencing in the world around us at the moment? Where are you right now? Questions really matter. Questions really matter. 
Why? Because when we ask questions about ourselves, they help us to think about where we are. They inform us as to what's actually happening in our lives. And today is a bit of a regrouping, isn't it, after this last 18 months that we've had. A a regrouping after what's been quite an experience. I'm sure some of you are familiar with this, but basically our bodies are like antenna. Okay, I'm not saying you look like antennae, that would be just rude. Um, What I'm saying is that we basically pick up what is happening around us. We acquire through our senses an experience of everything that's going on around us. Which if you think about it over the last 18 months, that's quite an overload. We acquire the trauma, the experience, the things that are happening from all around us. And for some of us, that's happened more than it has for others. I was at a Prospect Farm last week, which was like a mini version of Greenbelt. I don't know if anyone else was there last week, but anyone? No, just me. Um, And uh, I was in a conversation with someone who I know well, a friend of mine, and we were talking. And basically, I was having this conversation with him, and I was just like pouring out about, and then there's this Afghanistan thing, and then there's this, and then this is happening, and then this is happening. And he just turned to me and he went, wow, that went down fast. You know, like my conversation, I'd not seen him for months, and literally I took the conversation. It got really heavy really quickly. Why? Because I was feeling overloaded by all of this, all of this. And here I am, suddenly in a space with someone I know who asks me, how are you? We may not realise it. We may not realise that this is what's been happening to us. But in the last 18 months, think about it. George Floyd was murdered. We've more recently seen Afghanistan. There was the riot on Capitol Hill that just like blew our minds away. We've seen like the hunger thing, just so obvious to us, the inequality that exists, the racism that we wish just wasn't true, but we can't not see it. And the division, and all of these things are sticky. So before I step into Nehemiah, which is all connected with this, I'm just going to give you a minute. Just in your own mind, these last 18 months, some of you may have used this before. I've uh, used it one other time during the last 18 months with us as a community. There have been things that over the last 18 months have been massive gains for us. There's things that you have gained. Time, maybe time with your family. Maybe you're thinking, you're right. Maybe there are other things that you've gained. Just think for a moment. What have been your gains?
What are the things that you have lost? What are the things that you feel have been losses for you? And then finally, what are the feelings that you are aware you're carrying? Now, all of these things are a form of processing grief, actually. Wow, that got heavy fast. She put up a slide that says apocalyptic. (laughs) But the real meaning of the word apocalyptic is unveiling or revealing. Unveiling or revealing. That actually, it's in this experience where things that have been unknown to us have been made known. Come back to that again in a minute. So, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this incredible story. Some of you will be familiar with the fact that Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book, but in our version of the Bible, they get divided into two. And really, in these, uh, in these uh, chapters, if you were to put Ezra and Nehemiah back together, you'd discover that the stories that are being explored are about three particular characters. One is called Zerubbabel, great name. One is Ezra. One is Nehemiah. And they are all characters who have a rebuilding job. They all have a restoration job to do. So Rubberball, great name, his job is to rebuild the temple. Okay? Ezra's job is to teach the Torah again and rebuild the community. Nehemiah's job is to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. You need to know that there is, this is a spoiler alert, there is a shadow in each one of these people's stories. The story is set after the Babylonians have destroyed Jerusalem. That's why they're given these tasks to do. They've destroyed Jerusalem and they've taken down the temple. And they've taken many people into exile. And Nehemiah is one of those people in exile. Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you have heard any sermons before about Nehemiah... Honestly, you could, you could do really great talks about teamwork, prayer, leadership, vision, faithfulness, a need constituting a call from God, etc., etc. Seriously, there are like, probably if you did a little Google search, you'd come up with all, all of those things. Nehemiah's job was totally about rebuilding the walls because they had been 
destroyed. And at the end of the chapter that Josh read, you get this little uh, verse right at the end where it simply says that uh, the voice of Nehemiah says, and I was cupbearer to the king. There's a million different ways of saying that sentence. I was cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. Basically, in that verse, we realize that Nehemiah has got a role to play here. And Nehemiah greets these people who have come back from uh, Jerusalem, seen what's gone on, and he questions them about what they have seen. He questions them. Ultimately, he's given permission by the Persian king. He's also given an armed guard to go back to Jerusalem. You'll discover this as we unfold the series uh, to start rebuilding the walls. But the first thing that he does is this. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He sat down and wept. We've just done 18 months and everything in us is like, let's jump in and let's just get straight back on with it. And it feels like if we're not careful, nothing will have changed. It's always tempting. It's always tempting to dive right in, to fix, to be the cavalry, to repair. But here's this verse. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Those questions I asked you right at the beginning. How are you? What do you see? What are you feeling? These are the questions that help us to pause and not charge right back in. As human beings, we need to process this journey that we have just been through. Why? Because if we don't, it leaves its mark on us. If we don't, it leaves deposits in us. It leaves traces in our bodies. And what is inside, the experience of what we have gone through, what we have seen, if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't process it, it takes root in us and can become something that expresses itself not just internally but externally in our behaviours, our actions, our attitudes. We need to pause. We need to process what we have walked through. I remember talking to um, uh, one of the leaders in Oasis, South Africa, after a few, quite a few years, obviously, after um, apartheid finished. And 
um, he was doing some incredible work uh, uh, amongst both uh, white and black communities, creating spaces for stories to be told and things to be heard and said. And his reflection was this. Apartheid ended and there was no time for people to process their grief of what had been done to them. There was no resolving. Mandela, 27 years in prison, 26 years just processing that anger and that experience. But for most people, one day it was there, the next, evidently the world had changed and yet it hadn't. Richard Raw says this, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Scapegoating, exporting our unresolved hurt is the most common storyline in history. The Jesus story is about radically transforming history and individuals so that we don't just keep handing on our pain. I said there was a spoiler alert in this story. Later today, I encourage you, take a little look at chapter 13. What happens when we don't deal with what resides in us? The story, the journey that we've been in. So this journey of grief, this uh, experience that we have of everything that we have been through. Some of you will know this. There's five aspects to our experience of grief. And it's really messy. It's not a straight line. We deny what has happened to us. No, 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 I'm, I'm sure I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, no. That, that is fine, just, yeah, it's just part of life, yeah. Then there's anger. And then there's real sadness. And then there's bargaining, if only I'd done this, then that might not have happened. And then there's that, this is part of my journey and here I am stepping into a new chapter. And if we don't allow ourselves to go through that journey, that grief, that loss will show up in really unhealthy ways in us. Anger, aggression, rejection, physical ailments. I wonder if any of you have read about what's happening in Malibu at the moment. It's an amazing piece of art by an artist called Cara Levine. Remember I said with Nehemiah, there's a spoiler alert. He didn't do the work. Cara Levine is an artist who has 
working with a, a crowd of other people, has dug a giant crater. This is in response to people's experience over this last 18 months. A giant crater. She, she basically got a piece of string um, and some limestone powder and created this giant circle and then invited people to come and to dig alongside her to do something about what it was that they were experiencing, to dig a container for people's grief, their anger, their frustration, everything that had gone on. It's a collaborative piece of art. Why? Because collaboratively you're able to lift the burden of the individual. Why? because there is power in processing your grief. And every day she invites people to come and bury the thing to put to death everything that has been holding them back. There is power in processing grief. Why? Because when you process what it is that has hurt you ultimately increases your compassion ultimately it increases your empathy for others ultimately it increases your understanding ultimately it makes transformation possible The impact of not processing it is toxic. We scapegoat, we attack, we divide between ourselves who's better, who's worse, who's in, who's out on a macro level and a micro level. Robert Frost said this, how many things have to happen to you before something occurs to you. Think about that just for a moment on a national level. How many times do these things have to happen before we realize, oh, what we saw there was something being unveiled, being revealed to us. We need to name it and deal with it. How many things have to happen to me in my life that repeat and repeat and repeat until I go, oh, that's why that's happening. Name it and deal with it. Zerubbabel, if you look in the book of Ezra, you'll see completely missed the point, didn't deal with it. Ezra missed the point, didn't deal with it. Spoiler alert, Nehemiah didn't deal with it. He missed the point completely. I really don't want to nick the last chapter from whoever is doing that. But you seriously need to read chapter 13. It is so easy for us to miss the point. Nehemiah seemed to do all the right things. He sat down and he wept and he spent time and he paused. And we need to do that, but we need to do it well. Otherwise, we too will keep repeating the mistakes. If we rush in and not pause, we will repeat 
the same mistakes. As we think about what lies ahead, let's acknowledge where we've come from. Pause before we jump into cavalry mode. So how do we do it? First thing is this, notice. Become aware of how we are on the macro and the micro level. We need to see ourselves. We need to see ourselves on the micro level. How are you? And on a macro level, how are we? What are we seeing? What are we noticing? Early, uh, early on in kind of the development of people becoming nuns, they were told to uh, go and put their thinking caps on. Like, have you ever seen pictures of nuns with like triangular, yeah, triangular hats kind of thing? It was simply a way of saying to them, go and put that on because when you put that on, it forces you to think in a different way, like there's something intentional. Go and put your thinking cap on. That's what prayer is. Go and think, go and notice, go and think differently. Why? How many things have to happen to you before something occurs to you that if you keep bombing places, there's a refugee crisis? How many times do things have to happen to you before something occurs to you? Notice. Secondly, mourn the losses. Mourn the losses. Acknowledge what we've lost. Acknowledge what is broken. Acknowledge what feels lost in our own lives. Why? Because when you acknowledge, what happens is you're naming them. And when we name things, it's the start of the process of restoration. Name what we see on a macro level. Name what we see on a micro level in our own lives. Why? Because unveiling things isn't bad. Yes, the, there is racism. Name it, and then we can deal with it. Unveiling isn't bad, it's the start, it's the end of the cover-up. Otherwise, things will keep repeating themselves. And Nehemiah repeated what had gone on before. Chapter 13, you have to read it. So what are you grieving? What has been your loss through the pandemic? What's your loss in wider life? What is it that we are noticing on a macro level? What is it that we need to mourn and name? The third thing is this. Lean into the even though. I love Psalm 23. It's the one that always gets read out at funerals and things. And there's this verse in there that says this, even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Even though, even though all this stuff is so hard, even though I'll fear no evil, for you, God, are ever present. And they com you comfort me. 
The even though contains movement in it. It's not static. It's not, oh, woe is me. It's even though I keep taking step after step to move towards hope. Carry out acts of defiance. I was head girl, so that's really difficult for me to say. Carry out acts of defiance. Let me explain a little bit more. Another bit in Psalm 23 says this. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Have you ever thought, what the heck does that mean? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Maybe you remember the awful, awful fire, the Grenfell fire. And do you remember what happened? What started to happen? Food started to appear. Tables were laid out, weren't they? People from across the community, the wealthy, the poor, people of every nationality, every tribe, every group, gathered around these tables. In the face of the enemy, the injustice of what had been done and what had happened and how wrong it was and how bad it was, there was this moment where the community came together in the presence of the enemy. You lay a table. This is an act of defiance. In the presence of what are the enemy, that's where we act. That's what we need to do now as we think about going forward. We take the journey of grief. We move through the journey of grief. We lean into hope and then we act in defiance. Some of you will have, I'm sure, seen, um, I can't quite think when it was, it was earlier in this year, where on Ken Muir Street in uh, Glasgow, do, do you remember there was this incident, wasn't there, in Glasgow where the border force were driving around um, the area and they picked up these two asylum seekers and people in the community started to text. I was talking to one of them the other day. They started to get messages on WhatsApp groups explaining what had happened. And they all moved onto this Ken Muir Street in the middle of like the Pollock Shields area of Glasgow. And they surrounded the Border Force um, transit van. The, the transit van couldn't move. It had got these asylum seekers in and the community had come out and they surrounded that transit van. And they started to chant. They are our neighbours. Let them go. You see, in the unveiling, when things look like, oh, this is just so bad, this, there's this, and there's this, and there's this, you act in defiance. You name what the enemy is, and you act in defiance against it. You act in the way of love against what is wrong. You name the enemy. You name division, you name hatred, you name racism, you name hunger, you name greed, you name war, you name selfishness. Why? Because when you name them, you know what the enemy is. You name them 
because it enables you to know what the work is that we have to do to build back better. And I don't know if that's a conservative thing or not. Did, was it them that said that? Build back better? Was it? Apologies. Um, to make things better as we start back. <laughs> Do you, do you see what I mean? Like, you have to say what the things are in order that. If we don't name them, and if we don't act in defiance against what those enemies are, then we will simply repeat it, and we will make those uh, enemies still part of the fabric of what we're building as we restart. This is the mistake that Nehemiah made. Counteract everything with the way of love they're our neighbours let them go and they had to they had to and finally victory is in the brokenness this is the motif of Jesus the whole way through it's when something falls to the ground that new life comes. It's when your body is broken on a cross that the resurrection says that love wins. Victory in the brokenness. In Isaiah 58, which is this amazing, amazing kind of such a helpful passage to help us think about how we can get it so wrong <laughs> and yet what we need to do to get it so right. It just has this, uh, this phrase. When you do these things, when you counteract everything with the way of love, when you understand that this is what it means to be a follower of the way of God, then you're light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Rebuild. Rebuild in such a way that announces that love wins on a macro level and a micro level. Nehemiah, he did this thing where he paused He'd asked his questions, so important. And he paused and he wept and he fasted and he prayed. But there was something back here in his story which he hadn't dealt with. Notice it. Mourn whatever that loss is. Lean into the even though. Act in defiance. Stand against what the enemy is. The division, hatred, hunger, greed, war, selfishness, injustice, inequality, racism. When those things are unveiled, when those things are revealed then we know what we need to do. Counteract it all with the way of love. Nehemiah said, 
I was cupbearer to the king. Or he said, I was cupbearer to the king. Every single one of us. This is about all of us. Let me just pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the story of Nehemiah that doesn't pan out like the fairy tale we sometimes want Bible texts to. We're grateful, God, that there's learning in the lack of the fairy tale. God, for any of us here today, I pray that we would be able to have time to process our own experiences of the last 18 months, but also anything from before. And to understand for all of us, both as individuals, as a community here at Oasis Waterloo, but also as a society and a however we break that down that what we don't transform we will transmit so give us courage give us boldness give us grace give us peace to process and do the work of grieving of letting go that we need to and we ask it in Jesus name Amen Amen